In this episode, we got Uno Ebert with us to discuss reinforcement learning. Uno is a PhD student at the Max Planck Institute in Germany and is currently doing research in reinforcement learning at Google. Uh, we will learn more about reinforcement learning, the exploration and exploitation trade-off, how to use noise, and much more. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Artificially Unintelligent Pod, where we explore the past, present, and the future of AI. Grab a coffee, go for a walk, and let's jump right in. Hey Tim, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, it's a bit warm and I'm at uni right now, but uh, yeah. Apart from that, everything's fine. Like, being at uni usually wouldn't be a problem, but uh, warm and being at uni, that's a problem. <laughs> Okay. I would have had a BioNTech trip today, but I didn't make it uh, because of the trains. I was at my parents' place and I was going like back to Munich to catch the train. And I stood up at like, like 3.45, something like that to catch the train. And then like all the trains were shut down because there were like debris and stuff all over the train tracks. Oh, shit. Uh, it is what it is, but that's that's how it goes when you schedule the early ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's like, I, I would have made it even, but the, the train we should have taken was cancelled as well, so the group took an earlier one. And I just arrived like a nick after it, and I was like, okay, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I have to go back, recover, and then do a full day instead. Was it so stormy last night or, or why? Yeah, in Munich. Mm. Yeah, it, was it, was, crazy. it was crazy. I woke up at like one o'clock tonight by like yeah, a large sorry. bang, just like uh. right over the city. And I, I I could not fall asleep for another two hours. It was just crazy storm. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 I, I actually thought my window was open because it was so loud and I checked it yeah. was closed. Yeah. I was really like, the world was ending. But actually, I slept better after that so. yeah and it came out of nowhere as well so it was like i had all my windows open and i just went to bed and in like i slept for like 15 minutes and then it started like full steam and like everything was blowing i shut the windows i slept well as well <laughs> it's good but uh, yeah, this is this is quite fun because this is the first time we invite someone external to the to the podcast here. Like wow. we have been recording a couple now, and uh, so I think we're starting off with a really cool company that you work for with Google, and also I we have, we have been circling around the topic reinforcement learning now for a while, but like discussing it just in in the chat and also mm -hmm. like yeah, just whenever. Um, but I think what we and probably other people are interested in is just like yeah, your story and why you came to work with this and also what do you personally find interesting and what do you work on in reinforcement learning. So maybe we can start with, yeah, who are you and uh, what are you uh, doing at the moment? Sure. Um, well, so... I mean, I'm doing RL now, but this is pretty like pretty new. I mean, I've just started my PhD and I'm going to do RL there. But yeah, I've been interested in like AI for a long time. When I was in high school, 
I uh, did RoboCup competition. I don't know if you've heard of these. It's like we built small robots out of Legos and then programmed this using some using this weird uh, C dialogue called I think it was called there were two versions. One was called NQC, which is not quite C, and the other one was like NXC, which is not exactly C. So it's uh, anyway. So these weird languages. We were programming these these little robots to basically follow line, like follow black line on white background, and then drive around obstacles when they meet one and so on. And uh, yeah, I did that for I don't even know like six or seven years in high school, and I also um went to mexico and brazil actually to the world cups uh uh back then and yeah i had a lot of fun doing that and i mean that's that's where my interest in computer science in general comes from and yeah then i so was it first um was it first a love for robotics or was it for the software itself on the mm. on the devices well i really liked robotics but I liked doing the programming more. You know, the hardware is much more difficult, in my opinion, because everything can go wrong and software is just easier. You know, it's just more abstract. And I found that much easier. So I normally did the software part of those robots and the hardware, you know, somebody else can worry about that. Uh, so, yeah, I actually yeah, did. That's up to the real engineers, like the yeah, hardware. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't bother me with that. Yeah. But I actually then didn't study computer science because I thought I want to do something um, different now. You know, now that I've done already programming, maybe I want to do something a bit different. And I was also interested in physics and so on. So I actually studied electrical engineering uh, in my undergraduate. But then I realized actually this is this is not for me. This is more on the hardware side. I didn't realize. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I became interested more in machine learning. And it was, you know, the machine learning AI hype was already starting. This was uh, 2017 or so. So I heard a lot about that and I found yeah. it interesting. So, uh, yeah, I joined a natural language processing group at my university in Duisburg, which was maybe the only group that was somehow adjacent to machine learning there wasn't a lot of research in that direction so the professor was the guy who gave the intro to artificial intelligence lecture so that's that's uh why i approached him and then i joined his group and did some research on automatic speech recognition and did a small paper about that and yeah uh, i recognized that machine learning is really interesting so then i went to tubing um with uh, where they have the machine learning master's program where I studied in, and that was a really great experience. And yeah, then was, I just, was there a particular course that you that you really liked when you mm -hmm. when you did your master's there? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I really enjoyed the. There was a course called Mathematics for Machine Learning, which didn't really have anything to do with machine learning. It was just mathematics. Um, and I, I liked it very much, even though it was my worst grade of all of them. <laughs> uh, but I really liked it. And I actually wrote an email to the lecturer if I can like join her group and do some theoretical research with her. And she, she said she didn't need anybody. And then I 
thought, okay, what, what other courses did I find interesting? Okay, I took also reinforcement learning. That was sort of interesting. So I approached the, the, the professor who did that course. So actually, that's why, I, what I'm, why I'm doing reinforcement learning now, because, because I got turned away from the... From the <laughs> you got rejected, so you turned yes. to the second best. <laughs> best rejection of your life. Was it more yeah. linear algebra or was it more like analysis? Uh, the mathematics course, it was yeah. all, all of it, actually. It was really cool. It was like, uh, yeah, lots of linear algebra, also some um, more abstract algebra. And that was the first quarter. And then we did analysis for another quarter. And then we did um, probability theory and statistics for the rest. And it was really yeah, like nice. very fast paced, like everything you need to know about all of these topics in as little time as possible. Um, was yeah. it so like a, like a really, really uh, sorry, theoretical? Sorry, sorry? was it really theoretical or more on the applied side? Uh, the mathematics course. Yeah, it was very theoretical. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, all the exercises were prove this property, prove this property, and uh, yeah, but that's nice for me because that's a such a good fundamental to have for yeah. for most of the papers, especially in reinforcement learning when you're reading through the different like pseudo algorithms, the different formulas, the gradients, if you have like your fundamentals in math down very yeah. well, they're easy to derive and to understand. Was yeah. it, uh, I had a course called um, optimization for machine learning. I'm not mm -hmm. sure maybe that's similar, you know, when you learn about convex functions and different types of how you find like the minima for for an optimization function let's say is this similar to so we didn't do optimization in that course we also had some optimization courses though so there was a course called um convex analysis and optimization which i think is probably very similar to what you're what you're saying and this was also from the math department and uh well, if I'm being honest, that was my worst grade. Now that, you... <laughs> but this that, one... was, that was also my oh, worst God. grade. So... <laughs> I, <feel you. laughs> I, I, I I took it only under the condition that the grade doesn't appear on my transcript. So it's yeah. So also interesting, but yeah, but a bit different. But yeah, actually, I um this was all new to me when I took the. I mean, of course, I did math in my engineering degree, but it was all engineering math it was you know solve this linear system or do these 10 integrals or something like this right but um, <laughs> nothing where you really have to think <laughs> about why yeah. so um, yeah. and what was your master thesis about or so this is uh, what i did in the reinforcement learning group that i then joined so i did the uh, reinforcement learning course by uh, a professor called gabe matius who worked at the Max Planck Institute in Tübingen. So he wasn't a professor at that point. And yeah, I then joined his group and said I was interested in RL and I want to do some research. And he, I then basically got assigned a project about uh, correlated noise for exploration in reinforcement learning. And I worked on this project basically during my whole master's degree and this was also my master's thesis then in the end and it's it's about um so in reinforcement learning you uh, in continuous action spaces which is what you have in robotics or something right where you apply forces or torques to some uh actuators right so, so that's, uh, that's something happens right these are the actions in rl and 
in RL, you have to do exploration because you don't know what's best. You don't know what you want to do. So you have to try and fail and learn from that. That's the whole thing. And uh, yeah, to do exploration in these settings, it's not actually very um, obvious how you want to do that because you have an infinite number of values theoretical that you could try. And of course, you don't have enough time to try all of them. And also, you would have to try them all many times because, uh, you know, trying it once doesn't tell you much. No. So what people normally do is they have a policy which they think is okay, this, this uh, is what I've learned so far, it might be good, but uh, I'm not so sure. And what you then do is instead of saying, uh, applying exactly the force that your policy says you should, you try something a little bit different, like you add some noise to that. And um, the normal way to do this is that at every time step, you sample this noise independently. So, um, yeah, but okay. That, okay. With that, which is that see this, this noise was called white noise uh, is sometimes very slow at exploring, right? If you want to do something that is actually very different from what your policy is currently saying you should do. Sometimes it's it's good, you know, if you if you are always going up, right? But you actually should go right, but you don't know that yet, right? So mm -hmm. then you should go right for several time steps to see what's out there, and not just sample each direction independently every time step, because then you're only going very slowly. Like as an example, so what I worked on was. Um, using a correlated noise so that, uh, over time. So that means like if I go right this time step, um, this is my exploration, then at the next time step, I'm also likely to do a similar type of exploration in the same direction. So mm -hmm. uh, Okay. And is there something interesting you can say about your findings? What did you find out like about the correlated, correlated noise here? So uh, I found that this actually works pretty well. So uh, this is not a completely new finding, right? People have used, done this before. We've used what's called onstein unmeck noise for this. Uh, and what we did is use colored noise. And colored noise is, is uh, basically well known in many disciplines. You know, it appears for some reason in nature uh, many times. And you know, there's different reasons for this, but we just thought, okay, let's just try if this also works for exploration. And we found that if we use pink noise, which is one type of colored noise, um, then this works basically, this works well on all the environments that we tried, which is something that all the other types of noise that we tried, including the white noise that is normal, or the OU noise, Oshner-Ulbeck noise, which other people have done before with the same intuition. All of these, you know, work well in certain cases, but then there's environments where they completely fail. Um, but this pink noise that basically improved performance almost everywhere. So we found that that's pretty cool. And yeah, so did a paper on that, which was published now uh, at iClear this year. And uh, nice. Yeah. Just to pick me <laughs> up again, the different colors of noise yeah. are dependent on the time scale I'm looking at. And I think like white noise is like more neutral. And I think pig noise is the really long-term one, right? It's a, it's more looking longer in the future with your policies. So, so the way you define these, these noise types is, um, basically the, so every, every noise signal can be analyzed in terms of its, um, frequency spectrum and, uh, white noise, as you might know, is that 
all the frequencies are uh, are there identically, yeah. right? That's why it's called white noise, right? Because all your light frequencies would be that same power, then you would see that as white light. But um, in in correlated noise, you have more lower frequencies than higher frequencies, which sort of intuitively makes sense that that would sort of give more correlation because um, if you just have it's basically so the lower frequencies are correspondence for time steps that are further into the future yeah yeah and um so this is increased in the colored noise which makes it more correlated and yeah. uh yeah I, I mean pink noise uh is is defined as that this 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 power falls off as one over the uh frequency so the definition and then you also have brownian noise like brownian motion which is the same as uh, integrating a white noise signal which is even stronger correlated so this would be one over f squared as the definition so i i don't know if these so just saying it like this i don't know if it gives the full intuition but uh, so brown noise is even longer term than pink yes. noise yes and the if i if i remember like my physics correctly i think like blue noise would be more like the high frequency where i'm prioritizing like short-term actions yes exactly so blue, no blue noise is um it's negative correlation so that means if i go right this time step the next time step i'm more likely to go the, in the opposite way which is so not what you want so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm. i see uh and now you're at uh, google doing some also interesting work and you also mentioned that you are currently pursuing a PhD or you are about to start what uh, maybe yeah, we started, can talk about that I started my PhD um well I started working in in a research group at the Max Planck Institute in a different one than I worked before uh in September which is also where I met Tim <laughs> and um there's this is where I'm doing my PhD now too so I'm doing this uh, I'm advised by Michael Mühlebach and Claire Bernard and I want to work on like more theoretical aspects of reinforcement learning, but yeah, I, I haven't really started yet, so not many PhDs. Yeah, it usually takes a bit to get. I'm also a PhD student, so it takes takes a bit to get started with. But uh, when you you know get your first paper out there, then you can write the next one, and then it's like a momentum that you. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah okay and uh how about google so you're doing an internship then now what's that like is it for how many months and uh what are you maybe i'm not sure how much you can speak to exactly what you're doing but maybe the area of um, uh, like the field that you're working yeah, in of course of course so um i've been here for uh, one month now and i have two months more to go and uh, yeah i'm working in the operations research team at Google and they are doing uh, basically they are working on vehicle routing problems uh, so logistics problems and uh, yeah I'm here to apply reinforcement learning to tackle these problems which is an interesting idea and uh, yeah well I, I'm excited um well there's not many results yet but I'm excited if this if this works out because I think reinforcement learning is uh I think there's lots of applications where RL can really shine and people don't use it enough yet, but I think this is a pretty cool application. Yeah. Hey, hopefully so, you cannot give, give 
too much away, but how, what does your state look like? Is it, is it a graph or how do you represent it in logistics? Well, this is one of the problems that we are not completely sure about yet. So, yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I think I would have to go too much into details to, to explain this, but yeah, of course you have, you have a graph and you have like vehicles and, and packages and hubs and so on. And then you have to include all of this somehow. Yeah. So go, oh, yeah, so, sorry, Tim, you can go ahead. Uh, thanks. Um, so how does uh, work at Google compared to the Max Planck Institute look like? So do you also have a research group with, I don't know, 10 people? Um, do you collaborate more or uh, less frequently with your coworkers? Like, is it more directed, so to say? Like, how much freedom do you have? I would be super thrilled to learn more about that. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's it's definitely different than at Max Planck or at a university. So the focus, at least in, in my research group, so it is a research group, but it's also um so they have customers and so right it's not completely focused on publishing papers of course right which is of course because it's industry right and um this this is very different so uh that means you have more meetings and more talking about uh problems that customers are facing and so on but i think one thing that's really cool about working uh, at google is that you have lots of talent here and just working here basically make makes this this barrier to contact them so much less right you can just contact famous researchers who happen to work at google if you have some problem and i mean that's really cool of course there's also cool people working at, at max planck but it's just not not as much yeah yeah that's really cool and what um what like now for the first month uh, what has surprised you the most about the company and the way they operate or something something interesting that you can say that you were really positively surprised by? Positively surprised by? Well, uh, this I didn't do my research completely, so maybe this shouldn't have been a surprise, but I get free food all the time. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> free breakfast, lunch, and dinner, so that's highly recommended. Yeah. <laughs> one of the good things about working here uh, it's very helpful and mm. you can keep keep it going for longer yeah uh, that's good uh, but uh, Google is a big company so are there any other areas um, in machine learning that maybe they are working on that they, they, that you also find very interesting apart from reinforcement learning or maybe where you you know you talked about robotics before is that something that you see that you want to apply rl2 or do you want to go more into simulation or what's your idea there yeah so that's um so i think lots of people think about uh robotics when they hear reinforcement learning and of course i think robotics is a great uh application of RL and lots of work has been done in the past few years, especially. Um, but I think RL is much more broadly applicable than just robotics. So, I mean, one great application that is that was a few years, one or two years ago now was this uh, fusion reactor control that was done at DeepMind, um, which is an amazing uh, 
application. So if you don't know this, is they manage to control the plasma in a fusion reactor for much longer than you could do with uh, classical control methods. Because the so this plasma in there is is it's a very uh, chaotic system, and uh, yeah, the RL controller. I don't know how they did it exactly. I, I'm not an expert there, but uh, it, it's really amazing that that RL worked so well. I, I think I was listening to a podcast where the the CEO of Google DeepMind now, Dennis Hassabis, or I forgot his last name, but he was talking about that they have to, or the magma or whatever is in there is kind of bursting out from like what are is seemingly like random points, but you can learn how to, I don't know, mitigate the risk of uh, uh, something bursting out at the wrong location or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, but I see why RL could be applied there, and why the the use for it can be more than just robotics. Yes, definitely. And in general, hard control problems, like like even I don't know if if this is done much now, but for example, the people talk a lot about the smart grid and so on. When energy distribution becomes much more uh, distributed and uh, less centralized, I think good control of such a such a system is very hard and i think reinforcement learning can probably play a role there too also yeah. like things now like the the fine tuning of these large language models with reinforcement learning from human feedback is also something that is very very different from robotics but of course it's it's basically the same algorithm uh, behind the scenes right so and uh, like on the energy optimization that's already like done internally at Google. They optimized their data centers, the energy consumption of the data centers with also like reinforcement learning from DeepMind. Mm-hmm. That's quite interesting. And did you dive into the, because you already mentioned that you worked at the NLP chair before or worked with it. Mm-hmm. Did you dive into the reinforcement learning with human feedback in the, into the papers? Uh, I mean, I read a bit about it, um, so I, I know the basics of how it works just because lots of people are talking about it, but um, not not definite, definitely not in the details. Also, yeah. think so many people are working on large language models now that I <laughs> try to keep my distance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Including me. <laughs> um Nice. nice. What what do you think? What's the what's the challenge or the barriers that are facing reinforcement learning to be more broadly adopted across domains? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, well, first of all, there's lots of different algorithms. I mean, if you want to apply RL to your problem. It's, it's not so easy to know where to start even. Like, do you want to do this now model-based or model-free or something else, right? And, uh, yeah, I think... Hmm, I think RL is really... It hasn't really entered the mainstream as much as, say, like deep learning methods have. I think lots of companies are already using deep learning. You know, everybody knows about it. And it's not so hard to start with deep learning. But with reinforcement learning, if you if you like 
Google how to start with that, you might see all these uh, toy problems, right? Solving these these uh, gym problems, right? But it's not so easy to know how where to go from there. Uh, so I think that's that's a problem for making it broader uh, in the applicability, like like it making making it more accessible. I mean, and yeah, in general, RL also has lots of open problems on how to use it, right? I mean, <clears throat> one thing that I find is really interesting as a problem, and also, which, yeah, would if this would be solved, would make it much more applicable to many interesting areas, which is the idea of uh, continual learning in reinforcement learning. So RL really only works if uh, if your environment doesn't change over time which is the same for deep learning applications. But uh, in RL, it's normally even more of a problem because uh, first of all, it's not just your uh, environment that changes over time. It's your policy that changes over time while you're learning it. So that's also affecting everything. It makes it inherently not a stable problem. Uh, but in general, you want to if you want to use RL, it's because you have some dynamic system. Everything changes, right? And you want to control it in there. Uh, so normally you have something that changes over time and then you immediately can't really apply RL anymore because uh, everything's only for the static setting. Um, but mm, yeah. And but so, it's, so it's kind of like policy versus you need to develop or if you have dynamic uh, policies or environments, you need to have a what you call like a gym or some some uptake mechanism for for the policies and so on and this is not that easy to implement as a on a just i i can imagine you know just expanding into a new environment that that wasn't there before that's not so easy to program either always yeah so the problem is that if you if you have some environment and you and you use any RL algorithm to learn a policy to control this environment, uh, and then the environment changes, then it's not like your policy will just say, okay, that's fine. Now I adapt to this uh, new setting, right? Uh, I mean, it might, but it, it in the process it has to forget everything <laughs> it has learned before, right? And, and this is normally not what you want and, and it's not efficient normally you would think okay so i i have a policy which has already learned very well to i don't know collect uh, to to control this robot arm right and now i make a tiny change to this to this problem setting um you would think that it quickly adapts to this change but uh it seems to not really be the case right now and this is not just a problem with rl like deep learning in general can't do this if you use a deep network in your algorithm, then that's a problem. And yeah, another problem is that reinforcement learning has no guarantees, basically. I mean, in the linear or tabular case, it might have. But if you want to use a deep network or anything else nonlinear, you have no guarantees anymore. The, the current algorithms, which are most successful, uh, all of them are using nonlinear function approximators all of them are off policy uh, which you need for efficiency basically and all of them 
So wait, I'm forgetting something because there's a deadly tri triad. Now I'm, I'm thinking about what is the third part of the deadly triad. Um, anyway, I don't, I, I, I remember if, if you come up with, we can start from that. Yeah. No. So anyway, it means that these algorithms are not stable. You can show very, very, very simple examples where, uh, where they, where they diverge, they, they get unstable immediately. And then it's a question if you want, uh, a system in the real world, making decisions, maybe, uh, which has these problems, right? Normally you, in the real world, you normally want some guarantees and, and that's really very hard in reinforcement learning. At those points, it would make sense to combine it with classical control techniques, right? So mm. kind of, um, I mean, you have some guarantees there and yeah. just combining them in a smart way in the end is probably the way to go. I also feel that's the focus of Michael or like his, what he wants his group to do in the end, like combining those classical control control methods with uh, learning based approaches. So I and I guess like you're, you're more on the learning side in the Max Planck group, and then there are other people who are more on the control side. And putting like, mm. you together um, is supposed to yield the stuff that people can use in the real world. Or um, yeah, what do you say to that? Like, or have you applied reinforcement learning with classical control techniques together? And is it possible? Mm. Well. Actually, I mean, I don't, I don't know so much about classical control methods, but uh, one thing is that reinforcement learning is not really a new thing. I mean, it's not necessarily like an area of machine learning only. You can also like lots of people don't even call it reinforcement learning. They just call it uh, approximate dynamic programming, which is just optimal control. But the problem is too hard to actually do it all. Uh, analytically right so you have to do some approximations and then immediately that's by definition rl so uh this is a bit confusing because people think reinforcement learning is like a new thing but only the word is new <laughs> basically um uh, it's like data science and statistics yeah exactly <laughs> uh, okay yeah, yeah. Uh, i see uh but is the go-to programming language python for you or um, do you explore any other languages no python is normally the the go-to language for me i mean i also like julia a lot because okay. python is, is very slow sometimes so then i like julia but but yeah python is is the one which <laughs> that's really curious if i'm going into deployment yeah. is, is it going to be translated into like c or rust or does it stay in python for reinforcement learning yeah that's a good question. The, <laughs> the underlying assumption there is that you're going into deployment, which is, <laughs> which is very unusual in reinforcement learning. It's really more research everywhere. So, but yeah, you're right. If you, if you really want to do something that's, uh, that's reliable and, uh, fast and, and, and so on, then yeah, maybe you ha have to think about, uh, about another way, but. I mean, the RL algorithms are normally not actually that complex. It's more if you use neural networks, which often you need to do for good performance, then that's a problem, right? Because neural network libraries are good in Python. And there are solutions for deployment, of course, like this. I don't know about this. There's the ONNX and so on. But um, 
And do you use the frameworks like PyTorch then, or is it uh, TensorFlow, maybe TensorFlow for Google, or is it JAX? I normally use JAX always. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay, nice. Um, and for people like who would want to, you know, just dive into the topic and get their hands dirty, you know, writing some RL code, are there any uh, libraries or packages that one can just easily get started with? Like, let's say, spin up a, uh, like a notebook where you can just write some code or, or just a couple of scripts? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, the spinning up uh, in deep RL uh the website by OpenAI. i think it's really nice i think it's really nice to get started with deep reinforcement learning even if you don't know anything about uh, reinforcement learning uh i think you might want to know a little bit about deep learning but also it's not it's like not not much we can do some youtube videos before and then yeah, it's going to hopefully there's about deep learning so that's fine yeah so this is a nice site i've never used that uh library that is part of this uh, spinning up uh, stuff, but but I, I I've read the text and it's really nice. Um, the library that I've mostly used for RL is uh, Stable Baselines three, which I think is the most popular library implementing lots of deep RL algorithms. And if you just want to train a deep RL algorithm on some uh gymnasium task but well, gymnasium is this uh collection of environments which which are easy to use um then yeah you can do this in five lines of code using stable baselines and, and gymnasium and yeah I, but i think stable baselines is a really well designed library also if you if you want to change the algorithms or you know do your own but not do everything from scratch that's pretty pretty easy to do with stable baselines because the code is also well documented. You can just copy a class and then change what you want to. Right? I see. And does it does it take long to train a model? Because from my experience, or maybe also what I've heard, is that reinforcement learning algorithms like the, you you need to train them for quite a while. Like you need to expose them to different scenarios in the environment or different states, basically, where the agent can take a certain action and needs to. And I, I assume that over the years, there have been some work done in, you know, finding like momentum spaces that if you, you know, find a really good one here, you kind of converging towards a local uh, optimal or something like that. But what can you say about training time and how much compute do you need and so on? Mm. So one thing about RL is that so in deep learning and in supervised deep learning, you you can uh, so you have your data set and what you can normally do is you can load that onto your GPU uh, in batches, right? And then uh, you can utilize your GPU very well because it can just process all of this at once. And that's very nice for deep learning. And this is where all these deep learning frameworks use that. The problem with RL is that you have to collect your data online normally, right? You don't have a data set which you can just load into your GPU. You have to collect your data set by sampling from the environment one step at a time. And uh, you can't parallelize that by definition. And uh, also, these environments normally run on the CPU. So there are some libraries uh, like Brax or uh, Isaac Gym, which can use uh, GPUs, which are which are meant for faster training. 
but if you just use gymnasium or something you code on your own then normally your environment runs on your cpu and that makes it much slower of course right so uh, that means normally you don't even have to bother with then copying that to the gpu to train your neural network because that copying would take too much time anyway so you just do everything on the cpu so that does make it slower especially if you want a large network or you know have some very complex environment but for something simple it's really enough and that also means you don't even need a gpu right if you're not going to use it you don't even need one yeah uh, you also have like a few methods to speed it up like in a3c for example which uses like multiple workers at the same time which are running in the environment at the same time and sampling different experiences and then you have like a global version which is updated so there are like a few tricks yes to to speed it up a little bit but i think like the big daddy in reinforcement learning is a ppo um which is like applied to most of the tasks where i've seen it like in practice um and i think like how is there a method how you can like parallelize ppo um maybe we should also define what a ppo is for people who listen to this so sure let me try i mean i'm <laughs> i might make some mistakes here i've never actually used ppo but um so ppo is basically so it the most basic uh policy gradient reinforcement learning algorithm it's called reinforce it's just a definition of of the of the gradient and then you just use that gradient to do gradient descent that's all that uh, reinforce is um But uh, the problem with doing that in practice is that, uh, you know, ah, what's the problem? The problem is that this can be unstable. Actually, what's the... <laughs> yeah, it can be unstable if you... Unstable. Yeah. Because like the gradient methods, they optimize the policy directly. So yeah. like, and policy is basically like a probability distributions of what action to take next. And if you work on that directly, often you can converge based on a few like you can take too large of a steps in your updates yeah. because consecutive steps are very likely to have like a similar gradient mm -hmm. and that's why you use like the ppo the main invention was to restrict the update space based on the previous policy so basically you're doing a normalization and that's why like ppo came out like is used in so many different things where you want to like update um and that's why it's also so suited for the large language models because you can work on their output directly which is also just the probability distribution yeah yeah i don't know it's a clever trick definitely that the ppo uses and it seems to work well um but i don't think there's a way to parallelize it so the problem is that it's an on policy algorithm yeah. and you can twist that a bit, like with uh, A3C, they also do this, right? Where you have some parallel workers. And if you update often enough, then it looks that it's basically still on policy data, so it's fine. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure about uh, what people actually do if they, if they parallelize it or if there's some standard ways to do that, yeah. And back to running it on CPU and GPU, then if people don't have access to a to a great CPU, then 
maybe you already use like cloud services for this purpose. Uh, I mean, Google has, they have their own where you can use some compute there for, for uh, reinforcement learning, basically. Um, or is that something that, oh, okay, do you mainly run it locally? Um, well, that's, yeah, I mean, you can, you can use it like a collab notebook, I guess, which has some, uh, external GPU uh, or GPU or CPU that you could use. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a university, you can access their cluster. I don't know, but, but not everybody can do that. But yeah, of course you need yeah, to. As, as a student, you get some, you usually get credits for this so that then you can always get your hands on some compute. Yeah, but also you don't need to, I mean, if you just want to try something out, you don't need to start with the most heavy neural network that you want to train, right? I mean. I think what usually helps is that if you can visualize like your application while you train it, maybe I, I had one, like, I think, I think many people do this, but it's like Flappy Bird, you know, the application, like when you have to jump between two pipes or something like that, that's a simple kind of reinforcement learning example where you can just like train the birds. You send out a population of, let's say 20 birds. And then after a couple of iteration, they learn how to jump between the pipes basically. Mm, but that's not really reinforcement learning. Though. So this is more of a uh, evolutionary algorithm, right? Where you okay. have yeah. a population and then you you see what works well, and then you kill off the the bad the ones that don't work well, and then you make some tweaks to the good ones, and then you try again. So this okay. Maybe maybe can you just explain the difference between evolutionary and reinforcement then? Sure. So to enlighten me. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. So in, in an evolutionary algorithm, it's it's really what it sounds like. It, it's you have a population of, um, uh, yeah, agents, which is essentially a population of uh, policy policies, right? Um, and you just test all of them out, and then you see what works well and what doesn't work well, and then you take the good ones right the elite set of them and then the rest ones you discard and then the the good ones you you tweak a little bit right if it is a neural network you can just change the all the weights a tiny bit by some noise and then you have a new set which should be a bit better now than the old set because you only use the best ones and now you try this again and then you again repeat this this is how i understand uh evolutionary methods in rl um you're a bit more strategic. So evolutionary algorithms are uh, useful because they basically always work. So this is a, you don't have to make any assumptions about your problem or something. You can always use an evolutionary algorithm. Uh, and that also makes it less, uh, that you can always already see then that it's probably less efficient, right? So the, the thing about RL is that you actually, so you need some other kind of reward signal that you have to define, which can be much better than just did it work well or didn't it work well. Yeah. Then you use this signal uh, to learn better policies. So you don't just change your weights randomly, but you change them in the direction that uh, is likely to give you a better policy. Right. So this is the policy gradient approach. Yeah. Yes. 
Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> that's probably good for everyone to to understand too. Um, but um, I think, yeah, like I think a big like difference is evolutionary. You're just looking at the end result, and that's basically it. In reinforcement learning, you're looking at like what action is he taking in which situation and trying to optimize that as well. Yes, very true. Okay, um, I think we have kind of gotten a lot of really cool answers from you and also learned a bit about uh, Google itself. I find it to be a really cool company. You know, they have their fingers in any type of jar at the, like the, they do so much especially with google deep mind like that's a really cool part of the company i find and mm -hmm. uh, the way they have been um how would you say revolutionizing the the ai space with their AlphaGo and also what you talked about the fusion reactor uh, controlling um what we usually do nowadays is that we have um, five quick questions towards the end to uh, yeah to the one being interviewed or just to each other here. So I think, uh, Nikolai, if you don't have any, I will just uh, go ahead and ask some of mine. I have a few as well, but go ahead. I will start off then. Um, second, here we go. What do you think will be the next big application slash area for reinforcement learning, like where it, it will be applied or seen at least by many people? Mm. A good question. I honestly, okay, this is maybe a boring answer, but I, I honestly still think this uh, applying RL to fusion is is amazing, and it they have just scratched the surface. There's there's been a few results in this area, but they have just scratched the surface, and I hope actually that this is the next big thing, and the real breakthrough hasn't happened yet. And, Definitely no. It's it's a cool it's a cool application. And if I if I understand it right, they are using a lot of gamification in order to learn these things. Like I'm not sure how they do it for the fusion reactor, but for all the other ones, you know, the Go and um, like they they seem to incorporate a lot of gamification, which I like. I find that to be a cool approach. What what's gamification? Like making it competitive, like a game out of it almost. Um, um, that's um, like, or at least they bring that mindset in order to, you know, become um, in order to perfect your strategy for a specific game. Uh, let's say in AlphaGo, you can mm -hmm. use then reinforcement learning, and you learn some tactics that might be applicable to. Um, Let's say Alpha Fold. I think that was also that like so some of the takeaways that you know they they bring mm. from this sort of competitive strategy. And uh, but I'm no expert in this. But let's see what if they have more to say about that eventually. Yeah. So you mean that the agents compete against like an Alpha Do you mean that? I I, I I'm I'm not like I I do think so, but I'm not uh, completely sure. So, Nikolai, do you have another question? Okay, nice. If you would restart your studies, um, would you still go into machine learning and reinforcement learning in particular, or did something else pique your interest in the last few years? That's yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I sort of have to say yes. Of course, I would stay right because I just started a PhD in this time. <laughs> 
but would be bad otherwise yeah exactly but maybe i actually would have started differently maybe i wouldn't have done engineering but pure math or maybe physics which i think are also great fun foundations for uh for this side of research yeah but i think yeah machine learning coolest problems uh at the time so very exciting field i also have a question um so you're quite a lot on the theory side, at least compared to a lot of um, folks running around machine learning now who like kind of bring it to the real world. Um, and I guess it's a lot easier to find information about this applied side of machine learning. Mm -hmm. Which um, tips would, or like, what do you recommend to people who want to go into research and now are maybe at the beginning of their masters and of their bachelors? Um, like, what should they focus on if they want to do research? Uh, which courses should they take? Which master's degrees should they, they take? Hmm, well, okay, one thing I, one thing I would advise is what, don't, don't try to read many like people often think and i also thought this like people talk about these these algorithms and so on and then and i think you, you need to read these research papers uh if you don't even know lots uh, a lot of, of the background knowledge and then it's really difficult and then you maybe get discouraged from this research um research papers are really not uh, meant for people without <laughs> sufficient background knowledge they're even hard to read for uh, researchers more but who have know much more than me right so uh i think it's more like if you really think you might want to go into research i think the best thing is to if you're still in, in, in university is to find a research group and work with them on something because then you're not on your own you have somebody you can talk to you might even uh get a paper out of it and i think that's that's uh, better than yeah, trying it all on your own. If you had a general perp, if you have developed a general purpose reinforcement learning algorithm that can kind of operate in the real world, mm -hmm. to what type of robot would you apply it to? And for what purpose? Mm, I would apply it to a mars rover i think i would i would like it to to uh explore mars right just be curious and look at everything um i think this would be the the best application yeah. that's that's a that's a cool application i like that one hmm. nikolai do you have a final question you want me to close it out yeah yeah, yeah. okay um which other domain might impact reinforcement learning the most in the future? Ah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, reinforcement learning has definitely, like, as I say, it's, it's, a, it's a field that's uh, not completely new, right? It's, it's from uh, optimal control, but Basically, the same ideas that that uh, emerged in optimal control have also evolved in like uh, neuroscience and psychology for some reason. And and then you see in RL, it's basically wow, it's the same thing that is that that's come here. And then we have reinforcement learning in its own field, which uh, 
which which sees that these algorithms are also computationally feasible and and you can do something with it and recently reinforcement learning has of course benefited greatly from research in machine learning right so that's why people also see it as a machine learning field right um like neural networks uh have changed rl as well so i don't know what's the next thing <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to answer um but I think the cool thing about RL is is you can, if you want to apply it, you can apply it to many different fields. And in each field, of course, you have to respect the knowledge of the field. Like it won't like if you want to apply RL to fusion, you don't just take PPO and say, okay, so here's an application, throw it in there and it works, right? And of course you have to uh there's there's lots of research about fusion already in physics and engineering. So uh, I think that's one cool thing about about machine learning and 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 RL is that if you want to apply it, you sort of uh, have to combine it with knowledge of of the field that you're then in. Uh, definitely, I feel I feel like there are various areas or various fields that could impact reinforcement learning. What you said, neuroscience, or what we talked about, robotics, or machine learning as a broad topic. That too, definitely. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been great fun having you on, and uh, we've gotten to know a bit more about reinforcement learning. And now I know what the difference is between an evolutionary algorithm and reinforcement learning itself. Yeah, it was very fun. Like, thanks for inviting me. This was really cool. You want to yeah. give yourself like a quick plug i i've seen you you have a blog so do you want to shout it out are you still active no not really <laughs> yeah but um just like find me on twitter that's the best that's the best thing i don't have threads yet because it's not in the eu but <laughs> uh yeah ono eberhardt just my name maybe you can put it somewhere and then yeah sounds good we, we will do it okay uh but then um Hope you have a good afternoon. Uh, get, grab some good dinner at, uh, at the office later or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hear from you soon. Have a good afternoon.